everyone, and welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today we have Haley Scollard, the founder and owner of Nurturing Sleep Solutions. Haley is a certified infant and child sleep consultant based out of Northern Alberta, Canada. She's a mother of three beautiful children, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and the baby, a two-year-old. Haley says that having three children within five years really tested her limits many times, but it also gave her the drive and the confidence to become a sleep consultant and work with families all over the world. Her passion as a sleep consultant is to give empowerment back to parents. She believes in taking the, quote, right and wrong, end quote, out of sleep training practices and instead have a healthy balance for what works best for your family. And we love that. Today, Haley is talking with us about, you guessed it, sleep, and what every parent needs to know when it comes to baby sleep. All right. Hi, Haley. Hello. Hey, thank you so much for jumping on here and joining us today. I'm excited to talk about sleep. It's funny because I love talking about sleep, but people might think I'm a weirdo for that. (laughs) No, I don't think you're a weirdo. I have to say, baby sleep is one of our most popular topics on our site. And I think it's because every parent is trying to figure out how they can get more sleep. I don't don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I would definitely say that even as a sleep consultant, there are days when I'm trying to figure out my own child's sleep. (laughs) So it definitely is a never-ending topic that is for sure you know it's so funny when I so I have three kids my oldest is turning seven and when I had him I honestly thought I'm not even joking like I I feel like I'm a pretty smart person and was you know up to date with all the coolest baby information that you need to know and so when I had Solomon he's my oldest he was 11 months old before he slept his first ever two-hour stretch and no. Oh my gosh, mama, yeah. I want to hug you right now. That's 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 <laughs> torture kind it, of. <laughs> yeah. It actually like torture is an understatement because it really made me realize that my vision on what motherhood was going to be, you know, it was like it went there to die in the sleep department. You know what I mean? Because yeah. when you're so tired, you don't realize the impact that it has like on your relationship with your child your relationship with yourself, your spouse, you know, it had such a big impact. And so I guess I just really thought, you know, you put a baby down, they go to sleep, they wake up in the morning, and you have this fun little baby to look at every day. And it was not like that. (laughs) Wouldn't it be so nice if it were like that, though? (laughs) I know, right? Like they sent me home from the hospital with a baby without a manual. I had no idea what to do. Oh, I know. Well, you are definitely not alone. And that's why, I mean, that's probably what inspired you to become a sleep consultant. Yes. Am I right? It it, it definitely (laughs) was. I became obsessed with sleep. So reading anything I could possibly read. And but for me now, I mean, I've been sleep consulting now for almost six years. And the biggest thing for me is I realized that there really is not a right or wrong way to do things. And so I think what fuels my passion about sleep is it's just about making your family feel good about sleep, right? Like your definition of sleep isn't going to be the same as, you know, Susan down the road who had kids 20 years ago and has to tell you about how her kids slept at 8 p.m. till 8 a.m. No problem, right? <laughs> There's all these different definitions of what healthy sleep is. And so I guess to me, it's just about setting up a balance. And if mom feels happy and dad feels happy, 
then you have good sleep. It's not about going by a textbook or rule book or anything like that. You know what I mean? I love that. Yes, I totally know what you mean. Yes, as a postpartum doula and a mom myself, I get it. And I am excited to learn about because as a sleep consultant, I know you've met tons of exhausted parents at their wits end, I'm sure, trying to get their babies to sleep as it sounds like you were probably one of those parents. So yeah, I'd love to know and for you to talk about with all of us what you think every parent needs to know when it comes to baby sleep. What are your tips for us? Every baby is a little bit different, but the one thing I have found is um, over the years, I've started doing seminars because I realized that people are contacting me at the end of their rope when they're so exhausted, they don't know what to do. And they finally just say, you know what, I'm throwing in everything I thought that I was going to follow. Um, you know, even though I wanted to do this, it's not working. So I have to hire the sleep consultant and I know they're going to make me cry it out and I don't want to do that, but here I go. Right. They're, they're contacting me. Sometimes I feel like a social worker. (laughs) No, I shouldn't say that because social workers are like so brilliant, but you know what I mean? As people are contacting me at a point where they just are exhausted and overwhelmed and at, yeah, at the, at their lowest point. And so I realized that having information before getting to that point can change your whole perception on what sleep is supposed to look like. So I'm really, I really enjoy talking about sleep and tips that you can do right from a young age, even um, that doesn't have anything to do with sleep coaching or sleep training or however else people word it. But there's a lot of factors that you can put into place that can help improve sleep right away. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, are things that you can listen to now. And, you know, when you get home from your car ride, or when your baby wakes up from their nap, you can just jump into it. And it's things that can help a lot. Awesome. I can't wait. Awesome. So I always like to, you know, people always say, how should my baby be sleeping at this age? Or um, what does healthy sleep look like? And usually, especially if it's, you know, that zero to four months at newborn stage, or even any time in the first 12 months is, I just like to say babies don't sleep, (laughs) which is not true. They do. They can sleep. But it is really important to set up realistic expectations. And so sometimes I feel like I'm a little more gentle than what many resources state. But that's because, again, I like to find that balance between, hey, what is healthy for baby in terms of nutrition, emotional stability, um, connection to the parents, and also important and restful for mom. So we need to kind of find that balance in there, right? right? So realistic expectations, I mean, you know, if we kind of break it down into a couple of like a few sections here, we're looking at birth to four months, the birth to four months, that's what we typically refer to as the newborn sleep period, four months and older is now baby sleep. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, So typically what we're seeing there is it's very normal for your baby to be eating every one to four hours. Again, every baby is different, right? So anywhere in there would be within a normal range. We're not worried about setting up any sort of schedule until closer to that four, four and a half month mark. Um, It's really important that baby's body is developmentally able to process routines and cues and associations. And their body can't quite do that until the four month mark. And then, you know, the first two, three months, we're not seeing any sort of napping schedule, but around four months, you might might start to see your baby is taking four naps, long, short, whatever, just kind of sleeping whenever. 
And that is what we're looking for. Good to know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people start stressing out during that first four months, right? And that's just because the new wears off and that emotional high that you have after you have your baby starts to go away and you start to feel more tired and then you start thinking about sleep, which leads to stress about sleep. And that's kind of when everything starts to fuel. But during those first four months, just try to enjoy your baby as much as possible. Once baby is about five months, so between five and seven months, baby still is going to wake up to feed at night. And this is totally normal. Yes, some babies do sleep through the night, but it's not the norm in my experience. Uh, so typically what we're seeing is one to three night feeds still, meaning that a really great sleeper might be waking up once. But some babies, depending on what, you know, their daytime calorie intake, maybe they were born early. Um, there's different factors, but they still might be waking up three times a night, which is like, you know, every three to four hours. And that's still normal. So just know that. Um, typically, we're seeing about three naps a day and anywhere from two and a half to three and a half total sleep hours. And so I always, you know, one big stress about naps is that families are worried that naps aren't 100% consistent every single day. But no human has, including adults, have consistent sleep every single day, right? So right. babies are no exception. They're going to, their sleep's going to fluctuate a little bit. Um, we should see some consistency throughout the day, you know, on, on any given day. But typically, I always say, just make sure you're getting within the range of total sleep hours during the day to help your baby feel rested. And so between that five to seven month, um, we're looking anywhere from two and a half to three and a half hours with the average being about three is perfect. So that's three hours of nap sleep, right? Yes. If you added all of your daytime sleep together, if it equals within that range, then your baby's, you know, is doing pretty good. Great. Okay. Eight to 13 months is, you know, baby's just getting a little bit older. And so um, usually solids are being eaten a lot more. Um, but some babies still aren't totally filling up with solids. And so zero to two night feeds is typically what we see still. Many eight, nine, 10 month olds still wake up twice at night. And really like, as, again, as long as mom is happy, baby's happy, and everything feels good, then you don't have to stress about it. I mean, if you're stressing about sleep, and you feel like two wake ups is just too much, or um, you know, maybe they're waking up at midnight and then again at 1.30 in the morning. So those are two really close together feeds. Then that's something you can work on. But typically we do see one to two night feeds at night still during that month. Once baby's 12 months and older and we're kind of getting into the toddler stage, it is technically considered safe for baby to be sleeping through the night at this point. But it depends on your situation. I know many families that want to keep that feed in, especially if mom is breastfeeding Maybe she's going back to work. How can she keep up her supply? So they keep that middle of the night feeds for some bonding and, you know, being able to maintain her supply, that sort of thing. Cool. I was going to say, I, yeah. I'm probably one of those obnoxious, awful, annoying moms because I had a really good sleeper um, yeah. for my baby. And I'm so grateful because I would be like an ogre if I didn't get sleep, it would just not be pretty. It would not be good. Um, so I think God knew like, Oh, uh, this one, she needs sleep. <laughs> um, but 
what would you consider sleeping through the night? Because I know some people will say like, well, that is from, like you said, seven to seven or eight to eight or whatever you do. Uh, But some people say, no, it's really like a five hour or six hour or seven hour like group of, uh, uh, you know, sleep together. So when someone is talking to you about sleeping through the night, you know, what do you, what do you constitute as sleeping through the night? Uh, it would definitely depend on the age of the baby. So for example, that birth to four months kind of range, because we're expecting them to sleep long or shorter periods of time, you know, if a baby is sleeping four hour spurts at that time, that's really great sleep for a newborn, right? So I would say, well, you know, they're, they're having a good chunk of sleep, they're sleeping through the night, they're sleeping from their, uh, the point where they fall asleep for their longest stretch, which is typically anywhere between 10pm and midnight. And then maybe sleeping till 4am or anywhere between 4 and 6am. So that would technically be that sleeping through the night. Once babies get a little bit older, so you know, between five and 12 months, now we're looking for longer stretches. Um, So typically what happens is babies start going to bed earlier. So that morning wake up is still kind of, you know, that morning feed might still be the same anywhere between that 4 and 6am mark. Um, But they're going to bed earlier. So therefore, I would say like a six to seven hour stretch or a five to seven hour stretch would technically be sleeping through the night. Mind you, with that being said, if they're waking up at four, you're not getting up to start your day. (laughs) Um, You know, you would give them a feed and they'd go back to sleep. But most resources do talk about it just being a consolidated stretch of sleep. And older babies can have a longer stretch of sleep. Younger babies have a shorter stretch of sleep. So I wouldn't say... 12 hour spurt, especially when babies are napping still throughout the day. So that is one thing I notice a lot, even when working with families and I'm reading their intake forms is they get really stressed out about these 12 hour days and 12 hour nights, right? So my baby wakes up at 7am. So I try to have them to sleep by 7pm. And that works great for babies who aren't napping during the day. So once they're older, and we're not having any more daytime sleep, Now we focus on those 12 hour days because we're not having broken up sleep during the day anymore, right? Right. So it's all about sleep drive and littler babies take more naps during the day, which fuels them up to keep them up a little bit longer. And so they're actually going to have less hours like counted at night. So for example, a baby who naps really well during the day, they might go to bed at eight, but their wake up might be at six right? But they get three hours of daytime sleep throughout the day. So if you add those two up together, that gives them their total 24 hour sleep that we're looking for. Does that kind of make sense? That totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime a baby is napping during the day, um, we don't focus on those 12 hour days unless we have a baby that's really not napping well, you know, if they're only taking 30 minute naps, then bedtime will shift earlier to help them make sure they're not getting overtired. But if they're napping good, then bedtime is usually later than what their morning wake up is. Good to know. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that happens with sleep actually is I that I hear all the time. And, you know, on my Facebook, this is kind of one of the main questions is my my newborn was sleeping so good. And then around three and a half months, four months, they started taking short naps, they're fighting to go to sleep. And they're waking up every two hours at night. So this is actually known as the four-month sleep regression. I actually like to refer to it as a four-month shift because you're not actually going backwards as a regression. It is a shift in the body. Your body, their body is maturing. So basically what's happening is when we have a newborn, 
their sleep is divided into light sleep and deep sleep, but that's it. So just kind of like two categories. And this is why it seems like um, you can pass your newborn around person to person and they stay asleep or, you know, you can take them from the car seat and put them into their crib or sleep space and they stay asleep, that sort of thing. It, they kind of stay in a deeper state of sleep all the time. Once babies start going through the four-month sleep regression or what that shift actually is, is their sleep cycles are just maturing. And this usually happens between three and four months. And that's where we see the most disrupted sleep that your baby is going to have. Okay, so what starts to happen is that deep sleep that they were having as a newborn, that further divides into more sections, which causes more disrupted sleep. Their light sleep cycle becomes lighter, so they can wake easier during that period of time. And the most important one is they start to have what's called partial awakenings. So a partial awakening happens at the end of our sleep cycle. Even as adults, we have them. And the whole purpose of them is just for our brain to make sure that our body is safe. Okay. If we just went into sleep and were dead to the world for 12 hours, we would be very vulnerable if something was happening around us, right? So our body needs to be able to come out of those sleep periods and make sure everything is good to go. So as an adult, this would be when you notice that you had to use the washroom. If you were cold, you pulled up the blankets. You know, if you want the cool side of the pillow, this is when you flip your pillow, those sorts of things, okay? So for a baby, when they go through this four-month shift, what starts to happen is when they were a newborn, and I'm just going to use rocking to sleep for an example, because I'm not a, this association is right and this association is wrong. I'm just going to explain how it happens in the brain and how it can disrupt sleep. So what happens is your newborn has been rocked to sleep, you know, for the first three months of their life. And now they're starting to wake up all the time and they're not napping long. You know, it's just sleep is kind of derailing. So in their brain, they're falling asleep with rocking, which is fine that they are doing that. But what happens is, is at the end of the sleep cycle, they come into that partial awakening. They come out of sleep and they want to assess what's going on. And if anything is different than how it was when they fell asleep at the beginning of the night, this is going to trigger that something is wrong. Okay, so baby fell asleep with motion and in your arms and now they wake up maybe in the bassinet or in their crib or in a space where you're not with them, and there's also no longer any motion, okay? So right away, that's gonna trigger them to know that something is different, they need to wake up, and typically, whatever puts baby to sleep at the beginning of the night is what works the best through all of those frequent wake-ups, okay? So even for short naps, as I often tell families when we're first starting to work together, Instead of stressing about those short naps, try to extend them. So if you're rocking your baby to sleep or you're feeding your baby to sleep, if they wake up after 30 or 45 minutes, which is technically considered a short nap, so anything under an hour is a short nap, um, go in and do whatever put them to sleep at the beginning of the night and chances are in five minutes they'll fall back asleep. And that's because their brain just needed that cue to be able to know that it was safe and go into the next sleep cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So like some of the most common sleep, you know, associations that we hear about, um, again, maybe one is feeding to sleep, right? So what happens is, is breast bottle and soother are all the same association. Babies falling asleep with that sucking reflex. And then if the soother falls out or we put them down after feeding to sleep, 
when they come into the that partial awakening at the end of their sleep cycle and their body's checking everything out to make sure everything's consistent, they realize they don't have that sucking to sleep anymore, that sucking to sleep motion. And so they wake up to get it, right? So you go in and you can feed them or put the pacifier back in and they fall back asleep easily. So that's what's happening. It's not that you're doing anything right or wrong. It's just our body is made to do that. Right. Yeah. And I did I did that same thing with my son. I was very big on, you know, uh sleep, obviously, as I mentioned before. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to make you like a pacifier because I need you to, you know, be able to wake up and soothe yourself. Um, so what what but what are I'd like to know what is your professional and maybe personal opinion on on a pacifier and self-soothing and all of that? I am a big believer on if it works for you, you don't have to make any changes, right? So, and what I mean by that is if you don't have any sleep stress in your home and you feel good about what's going on, then you don't have to eliminate something just because you've read or heard that it's wrong, okay? And that's because that it can impact babies differently. So I always talk about um, associations being either positive or negative, Okay, so pacifier would be an association, just meaning that it's a cue that the body has to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we let's just take we have two babies, both of them are six months old, same gestational age, so born at the same time, and they both have a pacifier. One falls asleep with the pacifier and you know sleeps for thirteen hours with two night wakings. The other one wakes up every two hours all night long, and mom has to pop the pacifier back in the mouth. So they both fall asleep the same way, but for the baby who sleeps and just wakes up for normal amounts of feeds, um, that is a positive association because it's not having a negative impact on the overall sleep well-being. The one that is waking up every two hours and mom has to, you know, sprint, which by the way, no mom has ever sprinted faster than sprinting into the room to put a pacifier back in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Word. That is the truth. (laughs) You know, like you get in there and you're wiggling the pacifier in the mouth, just hoping they'll suck on it. Yeah. I'm talking like or I've you been put there. like 20 of them in their in their crib, just like, okay, you're bound to find one of these. <laughs> yeah. And you, actually, you know what? I tell families to do that all the time, especially like if a baby is older, like eight months and older, and they can pick up a soother on their own. Then I say, if you don't want to get rid of the soother because you like having it, put 10 of them in the crib because you're right. Your baby is bound to find one of them. And what's interrupting sleep is that your baby can't find one. Then you have to go in, you have to give it to them, calm them down, and then everyone's awake for longer than they need to be. But if there's a whole bunch in there and your baby just grabs one and plucks it back in and everyone goes back to sleep, then I say, whatever, go for it, right? Everyone's getting sleep, so it totally doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, And I just felt like it was, if my son saw me, it made it worse because then he's like, oh, but you're here, so you shouldn't go. So I was like, oh, no, this is, I I have to go. I need to sleep. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I like one thing that I always say to people and that it took me a while to recognize for myself um, is that you were born for your baby and your baby is born for you. You are the perfect match right from the beginning. That's not a mistake how these two people came about, right? And so this is why baby that you're their safe place all the time. And so follow your instincts, right? 
that worked for you and you knew in your heart that that was right for you and your baby. And nobody knows that better than you. And so that's one of the biggest things, um, even when working with families, is that, you know, when I hear people say, well, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but who's to say you shouldn't be doing anything? And that's where it all comes back to. What works for you is fine. If it's interrupting sleep where to the point where you're feeling stressed about sleep and you want to make changes, then yeah, you can start to make some changes. But you know, when it comes to the when it comes to the pacifier, is I definitely say, again, if you are using a soother and you know it's falling out and you're running in there ten times a night, putting it back in the mouth, and baby's short napping and you're putting it back in the mouth to extend naps. That's just letting you know that your baby's more sensitive to the, the pacifier as a cue, which means when it falls out, the brain is picking up that it's not there and they just need that cue to go back to sleep. So in those situations, that's when it's about um, shifting that pacifier out as being a sleep cue, if that makes sense. Totally. Makes perfect sense. Perfect. Yeah. So you were talking about sleep regressions. I want to get back to that. So are there yeah. any other times when parents should expect a sleep regression uh, besides the four-month? The four month is the biggest one. And the four month is the one that I like to say is permanent. So what I mean by that is that it is the biggest sleep change that you ever go through in your entire life in terms of your sleep cycles maturing. It's not fair to babies or us as parents that it happens at such a young age. But that one is permanent, meaning that, you know, your five, six month old kind of their sleep patterns there are going to be typically what you see as baby gets older. So one thing that people always say is when's the best time to work on sleep. And I always say, set up your balance anytime within the first year or even 18 months is, you know, the most beneficial because when you start making some changes, then it's more likely to spill into like their toddler sleep, their teenage sleep, etc. The next sleep regression that we typically see is anywhere between eight and 10 months. Now, most regressions I do notice happen right along the lines of nap transitions, right? So we're doing a nap transition, baby's losing out on that whole extra sleep period throughout the day, so they naturally become overtired. Um, and overtired babies definitely wake up more, struggle more with sleep. Um, and so oftentimes when you're going through a nap transition, that's when you're going to see that regression happen. Anytime you're going through a regression, especially if sleep was good before, just give it a week or so and just try to stay consistent. So, you know, just notice, are they dropping a nap? And if they are, they're probably getting overtired. So maybe pull bedtime earlier a little bit just for a few days to help them, you know, get over that hump of losing that last sleep during the day and still trying to keep bedtime the same time it was before. It's naturally going to need to shift a little bit earlier. Does that make sense? Totally. Definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, we see another one anywhere between 12 and 18 months, because again, this is when we usually drop down to one nap. Um, So, you know, we often people say, oh, there's a 12 month sleep regression. And then they also say there's an 18 month sleep regression. But I find that depending on when baby transitions to that one nap schedule, that's when we usually experience one of those regressions. And again, due to being overtired, when baby's 18 months, they often have authority with the word no. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Um, no way. That's like my son's favorite word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even just having that new control over things, right, is that starts to impact sleep a little bit where we might see some a little bit of bedtime battles. But, you know, just knowing that regressions do pass is kind of what you just have to focus on. So if you know that something seems really out of the ordinary, 
then you can feel confident that, okay, I'll give it a week. Um, maybe I'll tweak the schedule a little bit because they're being overtired from losing that nap, but overall it will pass. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. So that was your second tip where I'm, I'm getting, writing all these down. Yes. So okay. <laughs> what's, your, what's your next, uh, what's your next oh. negative advice um, okay. or not advice, but things that we need to know? Okay. So I, in my experience, there's two big things that have a big impact on sleep in terms of those partial awakenings. Okay. So really when you're wanting to work on sleep, the first thing you want to do is you don't have to jump into sleep coaching. For me, sleep coaching is the last thing that you want to do because so often implementing healthy factors makes a world of difference. So the first one is setting up your sleep environment. Now, I don't care where your baby sleeps. I'm not here to judge you if you baby sleeps in a bassinet or in their crib or in their own room or your room. Just don't put them in the garage. <laughs> Just kidding. I know it's not a funny joke. Um, you know, so it, that doesn't matter. But wherever they're sleeping in terms of environment is we want to make sure that when baby's coming into that partial awakening, we have everything set up so that their body recognizes consistency. So the first thing we want to do is have it dark. My rule of thumb is go into the space that they're sleeping, extend your arm straight out in front of you, and you should be able to not see your hand or just barely be able to see your hand. Okay. When we're looking at our sleep hormones, darkness is what triggers our body to produce melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So, so often when I'm working with a family um, that's taking short naps is when I go into the room environment, it's just too bright. So what's happening is that baby's coming out of that partial awakening, the stimulant that they're getting is light, right? And this is going to cause the brain to decrease melatonin suppression, or it's going to suppress melatonin. Okay. And this makes it really hard to put them back to sleep or causes short naps. So a really dark room is what we want. You know, an eight out of 10 dark is what I like to say. If you're getting up to feed your baby, turn the hall light on or uh, a light in a room across from them and just open the door as much as you need so that you can see what you're doing and everyone is safe. But this helps baby go back to sleep. And this also helps you go back to sleep as well. So that is a big one. Basically, day and night, we want the darkness level to be the same. The second one is white noise. White noise is my favorite sleep tool. I feel, you know, well, I don't feel bad for them, but everybody I know knows what they're going to get for their baby gift if they're having a baby and it's a white noise machine. So basically what we're doing is white noise is perfect, even right for newborns, because for the first four months of life, we're all we're trying to do is replicate what the womb sounds like so that it makes them feel safe because that's what they know as being at home, right? And so using white noise can help mimic that sound for them, okay? As we're, once baby goes through that four month shift and now they're having those partial awakenings, it's about setting up consistent sound in the environment. So white noise is playing when baby falls asleep. When they come into that partial awakening, baby picks up on that sound, recognizes it as it was playing when they fell asleep. This means that they're safe and they can go into the next sleep cycle. So white noise doesn't fix every problem with sleep that there is, but it can help go from two hour stretches to maybe a three or a four hour stretch. And as parents, we know how much of a difference that can really make. Oh, yeah. You feel right? a little bit more normal. Yeah, I know. It's like Beyonce, move over. It's a mascara day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a couple of things with the white noise is we just want to make sure that it's loud enough so that baby can actually hear it before fully waking up. 
So this is where instincts come in. Go into the room, shut the door, turn it on. If you turn it on and you think, whoa, that's way too loud, then it is. But if you go in and it's loud enough that you can't hear anything else going on outside of the room, um, but it's not like deafening, that's kind of where we want it to be. So imagine a smaller bathroom when you turn the fan and the shower on when you're standing in there. You can't hear anything else that's going on outside of the bathroom, but it's just like a mid-level noise. Does that make sense? Yes, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Put the white noise on the opposite side of the room than what baby is sleeping on. Um, or if you have twins and babies are sleeping in the same room, put the white noise in the middle um, so that basically what is happening is they're blocking out each other's sounds, especially if they're older and they're sleeping across from each other and not sharing the same crib anymore. And then choose a sound that is constant and continuous, meaning that you turn it on during your routine and you turn it off when baby wakes up. We don't want something that turns off on a timer, which so many do, because then what happens is, is it's turning off or it's already off during that partial awakening. And right away, baby's going to pick up that there's something different going on and this is going to cause them to wake up. So what's funny is when I was crazy on Dr. Google with my first son, is I was like, you know, Googling, how do I get my baby to sleep? <laughs> which I'm pretty sure is like the most common Googled topic. It kept saying, you know, use white noise, use white noise. But I didn't realize that piece of if it turns off on a timer, it's going to wake up your baby. So I had what was called a sleep sheet. And every 45 minutes, it turned off. And it's funny, because every 45 minutes for 11 months, he woke up during the oh, night and for naps. No, <laughs> right. So sometimes I think, you know, maybe it wasn't so much that he was a bad sleeper. It's just those were a lot of it was cues that I was giving him that I, you know, I could have made a difference with those kind of things. My second and third have completely different sleeping patterns, but I didn't really do anything much different, except for these foundations. And then just make sure you pick a sound that has like the same tone. Okay, so like white noise, heavy rainfall, something like that. If we have something that's inconsistent, like a lullaby or waves, it is in, it's an inconsistent sound. So it goes quiet, 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 crash, quiet, 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 crash, right? When we think about waves, we're thinking like the beach, a Bellini, pre-baby maybe, <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah, waves makes us feel relaxed, but not so much the same for babies. They don't recognize um, that sound. Basically, it's just like an inconsistent crashing sound, which can actually wake them you know, during that partial awakening. So yeah, those are my room environment tips. Those are the two things that I tell all families. And when we're working on a sleep plan, I'm like, these are the two things that we're starting right away. Because if we don't start these, then nothing else is going to work. Like you can't sleep train a baby that has a bright environment because, you know, especially a sensitive baby, because what's happening is their brain is being told to wake up, right? It's actually suppressing their melatonin and we're trying to do sleep training. It's all about making sure everything is set up first. And that's why I say sleep coaching is just the icing on the cake if you need it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So, so I do have one question. Yeah. I, I definitely implemented those uh, with my son and I attribute definitely those tips as well as some others to getting him to sleep well. But I do have a question. When would you wean white noise from your child's sleep environment? So... Everybody listening right now has white noise. <laughs> All white noise is, is just the sounds in your environment that tell you you're at home or that you are in your safe place. So for us as adults, we recognize the creaks in the floor and the furnace kicking on. 
But we also have other cues that we can recognize, such as our bed and what our bedroom looks like, that sort of thing. Um, babies aren't able to do that yet until they're older toddlers, right? So all we're doing is we're giving them something to give them consistency that they can recognize until they're a little bit older and start to recognize other things. So, I mean, my five-year-old, or so my five-year-old, my six-year-old, he still uses white noise because he says, well, if you're watching the hockey game, I don't want to know the score until tomorrow when I can watch the recorded one. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so he uses it because he wants to, he likes to block out the noise that we have and I'm selfish and don't want to turn down the TV. So white noise is really great for that. Um, and then my two-year-old and four-year-old, they use white noise more so to block out sounds that are happening outside, you know, especially if, you know, my son gets up earlier or I get up earlier or something like that. I don't want them to hear me and be up for the day. But typically, once a child is older, you know, anywhere between three and five, if you want to, you can just eliminate it by slowly turning it down every couple days till it's not on anymore. But like I said, it's usually it's totally fine to just keep using until they basically say, I don't want to have it anymore. And I know lots of toddlers who have done that. Oh, that sounds annoying. I don't want it anymore. And they just turn it off and they sleep fine because they have their routines, their bodies on more of a schedule. Um, they recognize their bed, they have their favorite blanket, etc. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Cause I was like, man, when am I going to have to get rid of this golden nugget of awesome? And I really don't want to do that, but it, I don't want him to be dependent on it as an adult. So yeah, that was a question that I had of like, okay, when is the time to wean off of that? Pathfires right. has a whole other question. Um, and a, probably a whole other podcast to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> off of that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, with white noise, that was, that was a definite question of mine. Perfect. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's easier than you think to kind of wean off. It's funny, one of the families that I worked with, uh, baby was eight months old, we started using white noise, which they didn't have before. And after our time together, the dad said to me, well, now if only you could help me sleep. And I thought, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> and turns out, um, they had just moved to this new place. But their old place, they lived by the train tracks, and the train went by certain hours of every night. And we realized that that train not going by is actually what was keeping him awake because he was so used to that train for so many years that that became his white noise. That became the sound that let him know he was at home, right? So we actually downloaded um, like a white noise app that had a train and that we set in the time for the same time that the train used to go by before. And he started sleeping great again. And then we just slowly turned it down every couple of days and he adjusted. So it's funny, even as adults, it's not so much that we become dependent on it. It just more sent, you know, everyone, some people are more sensitive. And if you're more sensitive to change, your body thrives on predictability. And so just turning it down a little bit versus cutting it cold turkey can work as you can see, even with adults. That's fabulous and very fascinating how that also affects us adults. So wow, very cool tip. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I just have a couple more. Do we have time for a couple? Yeah, more we do. Oh, awesome. go for it. Okay, let's do it. Um, the last one is, you know, setting up routines. Routines is probably the most overlooked part of sleep. And what I refer to as routine is I'm not talking about the times that your baby is sleeping. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about the cues that you have set up before your baby is going to sleep so that they know what's happening. As adults, we can tell time, right? We can look at the clock and we've all been there. 
um, you've been outside, you're busy doing something, you don't know what time it is, you come in and you see that it's 5.30 and you thought that it was 4. You immediately start to feel hungry, right? Just because of what the time that you've seen on the clock. So a visual cue is huge um, for us as adults, but babies don't have that. And so we use routines instead. We use the same sequence of events before every nap for the nap routine. And then we use the same sequence of events for every bedtime so that their body knows, oh, I recognize this sequence of events. I'm going to be sleeping soon. And what happens is the brain starts to increase melatonin production so that when they go down, they can actually fall asleep easier and stay asleep longer. So that's a big one. If we just try to plot baby down in their crib without having a little bit of cues there preparing their body for that then it can be harder or sleep can be more disrupted for sure. Okay. So what would a, a healthy sleep routine look like? My biggest thing is that we always want to make sure, I mean, every family is different, right? With what they want to do. So what we, the one thing we want to do though, is make sure that we're going most stimulating down to least stimulating. Okay. So my rule of thumb with that is that we don't want to go into the sleep environment until you're ready to stay there right? So don't go from bath into the room, get their lotion and jammies on and then go out into the living room and play for a little bit and then go back into the bedroom. One thing I like to say is have your bath, but then instead go into the living room, have your lotion and diaper there, you know, offer a feed, say goodnight to everybody, um, walk to the room and say it's time for sleep. I always tell families to do that when you're walking to the room and it's a sleep period, whether it's nap or night, just have a little thing that you say. It's time for sleep, night, night time, you know, whatever you want to say. And basically what this is doing for your baby is it's differentiating to them when you're going into the bedroom to, let's say, grab a diaper, get changed or do whatever versus going in there for a sleep time. So it's kind of like that first thing that you do when you're walking into the room. And then once you get into the room, you can do kind of some more calming things like putting the jammies on, maybe giving a little bit of massage reading your books, feeding, rocking, whatever you're doing at that point, and then put them down how you do now. So usually I just encourage don't be bouncing around into the room, out of the room, that sort of thing. Once you're in the room, whoever goes into the room with your baby, that's who is going to be putting them to sleep. And then we don't have anybody coming in and out. And it can just be calm from that point moving forward until they're sleeping. Perfect. One thing I always just like to add, um, because people ask about naps a lot, and they say, well, my baby has to nap on the go, or I don't want to be trapped at home all the time, right? Because that is a big one. And we don't want to be trapped at home all the time, because <laughs> it is hard. Um, so some things I say is, you know, a couple of my favorite things I tell families is if you can choose which nap to be at home on any napping schedule, choose the first one. So the first nap of the day is the most restorative nap of the day. So this is going to help set up the next nap. And it's also going to help set up the next night. If this sleep is good, it helps, you know, if this nap period is good, it helps with sleep in a whole 24 hour period. So this is a great one to try to have in a consistent space that baby recognizes and sleeps well. The last nap of the day on whatever schedule you're on is the least restorative nap of the day. So it's kind of like a pickup nap. Um, on a two nap schedule, they're both restorative, but the second one still is less restorative than the first. So again, if you had to pick a nap to be on the go, I would still pick the last nap of the day. When we're looking at sleep in motion, um, anytime our body is in motion, so car seat, baby carrier, that sort of thing, especially after the four-month sleep regression for newborns, it's fine. 
your body doesn't enter a deep sleep. We stay in a lighter stage of sleep. And so it's actually less restorative than if they can have a sleep in a more consistent environment. So that's one big one about naps on the go. And then traveling. I was a firm go for coffee dater when I when my kids were babies. And that's because I was going crazy. So me and my bestie who have all of our kids literally born the same month. <laughs> Love so that. It's almost like we planned it like we didn't, but some people <laughs> think we did, you know, but we would do things like our lives looked a little bit different with our baby schedule. So I'd be like, okay, I'll be there at 7.45 a.m. for coffee and we'll have the first nap at her place, right? You know, things like that. So if you're going to have, it's totally fine to do that. You can nap at other places and it's totally no big deal. Um, but what I say is try to just set up the sleep space so it's similar to it like it is at home, right? So bring your white noise machine. Um, if they're sleeping in a playpen, bring the used crib sheet off of their crib or bassinet or playpen that they're sleeping in. This way it smells like it's at home. So now it sounds like home, smells like home, and then put them in a dark space so that they can't really tell they're somewhere else. And do your routine like you would at home. They might need a little bit more help to fall asleep, but that's normal, right? They're not in their safe place. Um, and then that way you can still enjoy coffees and spending time with friends without being worried that sleep is going to total derail, if that makes sense. Absolutely. These were awesome. Yeah. So, you know, those are kind of the the big things that I look at, especially when we're at the beginning and just kind of what foundations can I do right now that are going to help even things out a little bit. And then we can like work further more, you know, as we see how baby adapts to these little things. Fantastic. Haley, thank you so much. This was this was amazing. I really hope that all of the listeners out there got some nuggets of advice. I know that I learned a few things too. So this was fantastic. So um, I highly recommend our, our listeners saving this podcast episode for a rainy day yeah. or sharing it with another sleep deprived mama because yeah, this was this was awesome. Awesome. I'm so happy that you had me. This was wonderful. And it was my first podcast. So oh. I was a little nervous, but it was wonderful. No. Well, we're glad to be your first. Thank you so much. Yes, it was great. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. We will be posting today's conversation on our Baby Chicks Facebook page, and we want to hear your thoughts and experiences when it comes to baby sleep. As always, subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and of course our website, www.baby-chick.com. <laughs>